Welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken here, joined by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, very good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Just got back from London, straight onto the podcast. Apologies, first of all, we've not done a podcast for a couple of weeks. Uh, Dave and I haven't been able to, to get together for, for various reasons. I was on holiday the first week of the international break with very limited internet access. And Dave, uh, you've had a very busy pre-Christmas period uh, with your, your other day job, uh, Ockley Books. Uh, plenty of great books and gift ideas available there we can do a plug at the end a more thorough plug but um i think now we should hopefully be able to be on a bit more of a regular schedule uh, and there's no midweek games for a few weeks now so i think if we aim to do a podcast every every monday from here on in uh we should be able to be a bit more regular with it uh we haven't really talked about the Cardiff game, but I think we're sort of we're well past that now, really. So let's concentrate first of all on Saturday's game against West Brom. I wasn't able to be at that game, unfortunately, but Dave, you were there, uh, and I watched the game back on replay on Sunday morning. Very impressive all round. Yeah, um, I wrote in the um, conclusions that you know there's two ways to win a game, isn't there? You can either win it by enacting a game plan and being tight and trying to control space and accepting that you're going to be under pressure and uh, come out of it that way or you can get on the front foot really go after it town did took the first option rightly so as it turned out pinched goal on the break really solid i thought the back it, it, the back three with turton as a wing back played more like a back four that then became a back five under pressure um and it and it works you know i i praise carlos corbran in the conclusions as well because i think it was quite a it was a it was a manager's game weirdly the game it reminded me of was Danny Cowley's victory over West Brom that secured their stay in the championship in that it was a real game that was sort of broken into sections. There was a difficult, you know, a different tactical plan for certain situations. It was was a game of sort of fine-tuning and it it made me realise that if Carlos Corbran had two weeks to prepare for every opponent, I think he, you know, I think Town would be in a, an even better position than they are. Um, you don't get that in the Championship, which is unfortunate. But yeah, I, I, I thought they were really good. I thought Scott High was was yeah. excellent when he came in. I thought the decision to not replace Jonathan Hogg was was in an important one really and what i mean by that is hog uh high and o'brien sort of took took shifts really you know one went one sat they didn't there wasn't an assigned right you are going to be the jonathan hogg in this game you are going to be the one who sits and i thought it was i thought it was great i thought they were they were dangerous on the counter but for a, a couple of better sorber thomas touches they could have they could have won this too now um so yeah danny yeah. ward finish as well just wide yeah yeah we, we will we will talk a lot about strikers in this one <laughs> yeah we will um yeah I, i'd echo your praise for scott high he's one i would certainly single out thought him and o'brien throughout were, were excellent sort of you know couldn't really pick between them for which is the better i thought they both did their, their roles really well uh i thought the whole team really did their jobs I, I think there's been a bit of a um a backlash on sorba thomas that's probably putting it a bit strongly but you and i have both said that you know it, it feels like we've sort of reached a point where people are expecting a nine out of ten 
10 from Sorber Thomas every week. And if he delivered a six, certain people would think it was a four. Um, but I thought, although he, you know, his touch let him down on that ball, he got onto the long ball from Nichols. Uh, and, you know, he wasn't doing a huge amount in attack. I thought defensively he was as important as anyone else in that game. He was, um, his positioning was really good. He would sort of stand off and then just sort of close people down just in time, just as the ball came to them, which is exactly what you want from sort of a, a pressing winger who's sort of coming back. But Naby Sarr as well, I thought, who, who came into the team. Yeah, um, best game in a town shirt for me. Yeah, he was he was superb throughout. You know, he came in for Tom Lees and, and you know, for us... Tom Lees has been player of the season for town this year, but they didn't miss him in that game because Saar was absolutely up to his level and uh, a continuation of a trend where Naby Saar looks a bit uncomfortable on the left of the back three, but when you put him in the middle of the back three, he's generally been excellent this season. Yeah, again though, you have to credit Corbran a little bit because there was a, there was a subtle adjustment really, which was because Turton was sort of playing five or ten yards further back than Thomas does as a wing back, it allowed Pearson to tuck inside and play a bit narrower um, and just support Saar a bit more and it made a world of difference because I think Nabi Saab, when he feels like he's got cover so he's able to commit, is a completely different player to playing in a two, for instance, where he has to commit not really... He's not a player who, who really sort of has an understanding of where everybody else is on the pitch. Whereas when he knows he's got that, that person who is sort of quite specifically covering, he can go and commit, he can win tackles, he can block shots, he can go for headers, and he's, he just looks a completely different player completely different player but I thought it was Turton's best game in a town shirt I thought it was mm-hmm. Saar's best game in a town shirt I thought Nichols was rarely tested but the point I made was that one of the reasons he was rarely tested was because he was really proactive on crosses and corners um, and I thought that was that was great to see and yeah there was just there was a real tone to that team and a rhythm to that team and they bought the subs on at the right time and it was just it was just a, a sort of real 90 minute performance where you sit back and go yeah do you know what I can't you can't really single anybody out for any level of criticism there because as much as you said like I say Sorba's touch looked a little bit off he was working his socks off to try and cover space at the back and uh, yeah you know they, they, they were thoroughly deserved three points you can have all the possession in the world but if you come up against a team who are just just doing their job supremely well, you don't deserve to win. And I think the the sort of the XG is a bit deceptive. It was pretty even on on sort of the XG front, but I think when you look at it and when you watch the highlights as well, the big chances all went Towns' way. It was almost sort of the opposite of the QPR game, which we'll get onto in a moment. In that you know the the three big chances, the the goal, which we'll talk about, we need to talk about as well. But um, the goal, the Danny Ward miss, and the Sorbo one that didn't result in a shot because of his poor touch were the three big chances in the game. West Brom was sort of were quite limited to long shots and they got their XG up purely by virtue of having a lot of very low value shots rather than sort of several um, high value shots which is what Town had and uh, yeah I, I thought they were really good value for the win and uh, a word as well for Danel Sonani who I think had been quite out of sorts He'd, you know he started really well when he first came into the side and um, you know ran ran the game a, a few of his I think sort of three of his first four games uh, uh, and I think especially sort of that Everton game, he was running the show and then he'd sort of dipped. And I think we got the vibe straight away that he was going to be, even even when he was in that good form, that he was going to be a very streaky player. He just had that sort of that, that vibe about him that he was going to be 
a very, very streaky player and that has sort of proved to be true. But we spoke to him sort of between the Cardiff and West Brom games and I asked him, you know, is was confidence an issue and do you feel a bit more confident now that you've got that first goal against Cardiff? And he was like, to be honest, yeah. He said, you know, it's a big, big weight off my shoulders and uh, I'm confident that I can go and get another one, which he, he duly did. Um, and I think that's... That's a positive. Unfortunately, it didn't didn't quite carry through into the the QPR game. Um, I thought he was sort of bright early on, and and then sort of became quite anonymous in the second half. But it's good for Huddersfield Town if if they can get Sonani in some kind of form and, and rhythm now. Yeah, definitely. I think the goal against Cardiff was a hopefully the the start of many. But the goal itself uh, against West Brom, it was a Stephen Chicken, wasn't it? It was the goal you've been sort of crying out for them to score. Yeah, a very very good break. A ball through the centre, Danny Ward peeling off, doing exactly great what run. a good number great nine run, should. And a great and pass then, by High as well to get him, yeah. get him in. He, uh, he spotted that run. It was a great run, perfect timing. And High spotted it really well, picked it out perfectly. So it was, it was. there was a slight intake of breath because there were a few thought, like, not to quote a cliche, but have they scored too early here? Because there was a long way to go. But the sort of game plan of that game was always trying to pinch it 1-0. And it, mm. it doesn't matter when you get that one, if you can sort of keep enacting what you what you want to do as your game plan. So, yeah, it was, it was a good goal. And it was a goal we've not really seen from town this season. So, again, it's something me and you have both commented that they need to add to their, their armoury. And I asked Lewis O'Brien about it as well before the West Brom game and said, you know, you've had a lot of sort of Gaza versus Germany moments uh, where the ball's gone across goal and there's just no one been on the end of it or just not been able to quite reach it. And, you know, what what can you do to work on that? And he felt it wasn't really an issue with the quality of the final ball. He said it was a, what they'd been working on was a positional thing and making sure that people were in the right positions to to put them in the net. And, you know, they, I th- they could have got another one against QPR where they got a break on and then they just couldn't get the the ball across uh to i think it was warden cromer in the middle i think they it was snarney got through up the left and couldn't quite get it through to wardens and cromer and i think they were both offside anyway actually as it turned out but um they um yeah, we, we criticised them for not scoring those tap-ins, even though they've been trying to score them all season. Um, I think they probably still need a bit more variety in the goals, and we'll get onto that when we talk about the striker chat in a moment after we talk about QPR. But um, it's good to at least see that goal that they've been trying to score all season finally come off, and hopefully they can do that more now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's pretty much West Brom done, isn't it? It is. So QPR now, yeah, it was uh, another away game. Frustrating where... <laughs> I thought it was a actually for an hour. I thought it was a really good performance from town. Um, I, I particularly the first sort of forty-five. I thought it was a good performance from. I thought it was two very evenly matched teams and two teams that were sort of trying to do their thing. And I thought both sides defended really well, and that was sort of the decisive factor in that that first hour or so. Um, you know, both both sides had chances. It was very end to end, which I think Carlos was a bit unhappy about. But given that that was how the game sort of panned out, I thought. Um, Town defended really well. Lee Nichols marshaled the box superbly. Thought Levi, Levi Colwell was having an excellent game as well. You know he didn't. You know not a foot wrong. Harry Toffolo I was impressed with uh, for the first time in a while. Really, um, in that first hour, Scott High had a really good game. There were you know they were good performers there. Um, and I thought Danny Ward again. His sort of his tireless efforts in the build-up and his ability to shield the ball is you know using his strength to sort of hold it up was was good and 
Um, they didn't look to be in huge amount of trouble, but then QPR sort of went up a gear early in the second half, and I think the crowd sort of latched onto that, and there was a big old roar from the crowd about an hour in, and and that sort of we saw it against Peterborough as well, where as soon as Town scored, the Peterborough crowd came to life, and and Town seemed to struggle with it. And my sort of initial reaction to the game um, sort of focused on that, the fact that that you know it was a similar thing at Cardiff after they got their equaliser, that that Town seemed to struggle late on against away from home when the the crowd is roaring. But I think we needed to acknowledge there's a, a chicken and egg situation there because the crowd usually get going because they sense that things are going to go their way, um, and there's there's a reason for that and yeah what what was your take on the game Dave I I think that Town have a slight template away from home and I think they struggle a little bit to deviate from that um so when you get you can't discount how QPR grew into that game I think they they actually in the end that last half an hour I think QPR played really really well yeah and they upped they, they played well the first hour and then they upped the game and town didn't I think that was the yeah. crucial thing and that that is an issue for town I think like we can't not talk about town going to the slightly going to the next level here because as much as we don't want to talk about it they have been flirting with the playoff places and I think it's these little bits of detail that are the thing that is going to hold them back so they could have done with having a little bit of a a more reactive plan to QPR coming into it to that extent and they just seem to be doing the same things Um, and QPR to be frank they just sort of got to a point where they, they knew what to expect and they were starting to exploit various situations I think the really disappointing thing is not really the performance it's the actual goal because the goal is a bit of a stinker to concede um I mean, he 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 literally jogs thirty yards, and nobody picks him up at any point. There's lots of pointing. <laughs> There's yeah. lots of pointing, but so, nobody actually sort of, physically gets on him. Yeah, O'Brien is sort of keeping an eye on him, and then he seems to sort of. I think he's trying to hand him over to Pearson, so that he, he explained yeah. it after the game, where he was saying that last season they were playing sort of very man to man, and we saw that with like I always think of Harry Toffolo chasing Todd Cantwell. <laughs> Yeah, uh, all yeah, over the yeah, pitch yeah. against Norwich early on. They and that evidently didn't work. They had the worst defensive record in the division last year. So in the summer they switched to a more zonal style, which I think has obviously. I mean, you only need to look at the improvement in the defensive record to see that that suits them much better. And O'Brien was sort of trying to make the point that those are the kinds of goals that you will concede now and then through not having quite such the man-to-man style. But I think. You, Pearson still needs to to pick him up in the box there if you are going to do that he does but in Pearson's defence Pearson has got a man over his shoulder mm. so if if he commits to that man somebody else has got to pick pick up the man over his shoulder now mm. th- the way the attack's coming the way it's shaking he's trying to keep an eye on the ball he hasn't got eyes in the back of his head so whilst I'm not saying Pearson was, was blameless I, I think that was very much O'Brien's responsibility to actually O'Brien Brian himself was spare. He was Mm. spare. And he should have, instead of just sort of identifying it and pointing, to be frank, he should have just took the responsibility and got tight. And that, Espe- 
especially since Colwell had been pulled out to the left to, to deal yeah. with the cross, to go and deal with Willock, they needed the extra defender in there, and O'Brien probably mm. should have seen that, I guess. And that is where you realise that Lewis O'Brien is not Jonathan Hogg, because Hoggy, mm-hmm. for all his faults, would have just gone, I'm going to go and get tight. So it was it was a, it was a poor goal. It was quite a tired goal, I thought, yeah. if I'm honest. It's one of those that you do concede late on after, because that, that West Brom game was a... It was, it was big effort, big, big effort. I thought the first hour of this game was a big effort again. So yeah, big time. It, sort of, it sort of felt like it might happen. Um, and these midweek games, I don't think they suit this town squad because Carlos Corran does like to keep a sort of tight group of players and he likes to keep a tight first 11. The fewer sort of midweek games they have, the, the more it suits in truth. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I don't think it was a disappointing game per se, but it's just, you have to talk that there is a slight trend to do this in away yeah, games exactly. now. And they need to nip that in the bud sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think it's two things. I think it's. I think if there wasn't that recent history of conceding those late goals away from home, I mean that's six points they've dropped now from the last three away games. You know they they dropped two points at Peterborough, they dropped three at Cardiff, and they've they've dropped one here. And if they had those six points, they'd be third in the table and not eighth. Um, and. <laughs> If it hadn't been a pattern, and if that wasn't a pattern, but more sort of concerningly, their sort of inability, their lack of ruthlessness, toothlessness more than ruthlessness in attack wasn't such a massive trend this season, I think we might look at that QPR game and go, ah, well, QPR are a good side, got a bit unlucky, it was the odd goal, the yeah. one the one moment told. But it's the fact that they've got that, that we've got that context that is just like, oh, it's the same, it's the same thing again. And it was that lack of ruthlessness that really annoyed Corbran and um that that he talked about at length in his uh, his post match press conference because and I agree with him he felt that they had plenty of opportunities on the counter they had plenty of situations where they had numerical advantage on the counter uh, or they'd got into good positions and they just weren't able to exploit it they didn't turn it to their advantage interestingly i mean you, you talk about they have sort of a pattern for away games and you know it's about playing on the counter i, I don't get the impression that Carlos necessarily wants that to be the case um, because he talked about how uh, I th- he sort of seemed to imply that the first priority should be having more control of the ball and being the team that's dominating the ball and that the counter-attacking thing sort of only comes into play if you're not able to do that. I think QPR are a very tough team to do that against. They're one of the best, you know, Mark Warburton's track record. He he has a team that, that loves to keep the ball. They love to keep it on the ground. Um, they play a very similar way to, to town uh, or to the way that town wants to play and they're, they're probably just a little bit further along in their development on that because they're coming from sort of a better position and Warburton's, you know, had a bit more of a, a consistent squad to work with, etc. But, um, I th- yeah, I just thought, once again... There were, you know, you had the the Turton header in the first minute. You had another Turton shot in the first half, and you had Karoma had one turned around the post as well uh, in the first half. Second half, I really until Mipo had that one turned over the bar. I'm struggling to think of a meaningful um, shot that they had mm. against against QPR. Yeah, and I I I think it's sort of natural to lead on to the next part of the pod from there, really, Steve, because that's the discussion point, isn't it, for this week? Yeah, really? which I think. It's the big discussion point for Huddersfield Town fans and for for various others in terms of I've seen an awful lot of we need a quality striker, we need a, a better striker or a striker has to be priority. And I know you're... 
I know you're slightly caught between two stools with it. I, I'm not. I don't think it's anything to do with the strikers. Um, and I think Town have actually got some good options. I think it's it's to do with other factors. My sort of my only sort of misgiving is um, I, I like Danny Ward. I think he's doing a good job. I think he's sort of he's really grown into the season, and he's I think he's doing the job that that Corbran wants him to be doing uh, by and large. But um, I think and and this is maybe slightly harsh, but there's there's no sort of way to sugarcoat it. I think Fraser Campbell has maybe outlived his usefulness a little bit with with Town now. I think the last two seasons he was absolutely crucial for them, and they really needed his aggression, his ability to press from the front, and you know all of that business defensively. He was such a huge player for them, and and I think. They would have gone down either, you know, the season before last or last season if they hadn't had him in the side because they would have conceded a, a lot more goals even than they did. But um, I think they've sort of they moved on from that now. He's he's yet to score this season. His goal scoring record hasn't been great while he's been at Town um, throughout his sort of two and a bit years. And I think they it's no fault of his own, but I think sort of things have moved on a little bit from him now. And I think they would they could do with having a a, a different alternative. But the asterisk on that is Meepo is. Sort Sort of is gearing up. He got his got on the pitch for the first time since Swansea, and and Carlos is you know he's saying that he's more and more impressed with what he's been doing on the training ground, so he could become a more important player. And the other thing is they've got Jordan Rhodes coming back, so. I think for me it's one to put a pin in for now as as regards sort of recruitment in January the striker because for that reason because we don't know what Meepo or Rhodes are going to offer. Yeah, this is exactly it. I think when you look at their options, I think Danny Ward is a good championship striker. I think Fraser Campbell has a very specific role to play in this squad and it's not always on the pitch. I think Jordan yeah. Rhodes is a sniffer and poacher and I think there's already been a couple of games this season where having Jordan Rhodes for the last 15 minutes might have actually made a difference. Um and I think Meepo is the is the one that we're sort of all still wondering about. I think anybody who writes Rhodes and Meepo often says they're clearly not good enough. That's just silly because we haven't seen enough of, of either of them. But the problem is whoever you put up there. So if you if you go and the first thing is there's this perception of, of championship strikers that they need a twenty goal a season striker. Okay, every team in that league needs a twenty goal a season striker. Mm. That's the thing. They're not that they're not that easy to come by. They don't, Especially you know, not in January. No, there's not 24 players with over 20 goals in the championship top goal scoring charts at the end of the season. So there's not some mythical well you can just go to and just produce these strikers. The other thing is, if you've got a 20 goal a season striker, that's still, what, 26 games they don't score in if they mm-hmm. go at one a game? So it's not that's still over half the season where your striker doesn't score a goal. Where my issue is with Town is it's purely about creation. It's not about the strikers. I, I Whoever you put up there, the issues would remain the same. And I have briefly mentioned this before in pieces, and I've mentioned this before on a pod, but to put some numbers on it, if you look at the the five uh, to, if you look at the five highest ranked players for shots taken, you've got Mitrovic, who's taken he's scored twenty one goals, going great guns. Let's be honest, he's a Premier League striker, Steve. Mm-hmm. Let's not pretend. Also, he's on Premier League money. He's on mm-hmm. over thirty thousand pounds. And a week how much did he cost them? Yeah, twenty million exactly. But he's had seventy nine shots for his twenty one goals. You know, Dominic Solanke's got fifteen goals. He's had sixty three shots. Uh, Guy Koresh at Coventry who I think is a, a really good player, and it's not because of the Brighton collection. He's He is a really, really good 
exciting prospect. He's got nine goals. He's had 56 shots. Ben Brereton, who is is perhaps the sort of story of the championship season, 16 goals. He's had 54 shots. And the thing is, <sighs> shots are a difficult metric to just say take on its own and say it proves anything because shots can come from different areas of the pitch. But what we can agree on is that those players have been in positions where they feel they can take the shot on. Danny Ward's had 25 shots this season. 25 mm-hmm. shots. Now, Town's highest shot taker is still Josh Caroma with 29. And Josh Caroma is not in the first 11 at the moment. I know he played against QPR, but if we were to write down what we think Corbyn's first 11 is, Josh Caroma isn't in it at the moment. You know, it's, it's Dwayne Holmes on that side. So, you can talk about taking Danny Ward out and transplanting in this mythical 20-25 goal a season striker who's going to change town's fortunes and make anything better you've got to create the chances for them you, you've mm-hmm. got to work the opportunities for them and town's problem is that they they keep trying to create a certain chance rather than just lots of chances and the thing is in some games you can create like prime example I think the whole performance was a very very good tactical performance where they played in certain patterns and they got the breakthroughs the way they were sort of anticipating and expecting to get them you know I know Dwayne Holmes's goal was a great finish but they were they were expecting something to happen from a set piece like that in other games particularly in away games it's just about trying to create a volume of chances and the other problem is that the way town play they don't create that many chances for a striker anyway look last night the two best chances before Meepo had the header at the end which is where town had gone a bit more direct because they're one nil down and there's five minutes to go had fallen to the wing back had mm-hmm. fallen to Turton and that's that's not an uncommon thing Josh Caroma has had the most shots he doesn't play as a striker he plays on the left of that three sort of somewhere between a winger and a striker Danel Sanani is is just after Danny Ward with 22 shots again he plays on the right hand side somewhere between a winger and a striker so I just don't think it's an issue of personnel I really don't I, I think they need uh, you've written it this morning uh, I know HTFC Stato mentioned it on Twitter today and it's something we have talked about before Steve is that what they're really missing is they haven't got a load of goals from midfield mm. at all they've got barely anything from midfield this season and if you just go and get a creative eight and put him in it doesn't really work in the 3-4-3 anyway because mm-hmm. you have Lewis O'Brien and Hogg as you two it's very very difficult just to force that player in so it's it's a it's a pattern of play thing for me it's it's about being a bit more taking a few more risks and literally just passing forward a bit more sometimes and just as i said some games the one time they've done it this this season steve is the blackburn game where they just went for it because blackburn was so strong going the other way they knew they would have to score at least twice to win that game even at home so they went for it and the thing is there were other games where i think they could have done that yeah and and i did sort of a bit of analysis recently about sort of the number of shots they're taking as a team and you know they're 16th in the table for shots per game 10 10.3 shots per game but a lot of those shots are long shots we talked about it recently that they've got when you think about Dwayne Holmes Lewis O'Brien Josh Caroma Danelle Sinani they've got a lot of players who are more comfortable shooting for 20 yards than than from 15 and the sort of you mentioned sort of dropping the the Carolitan type in there you know I I agree I don't think it I think it helps but I don't think it helps as much as um a Frank Lampard type, 
a dare we say it Janino Bakuna type you know yeah. for yeah. for all the criticisms we had of Janino Bakuna and let's be honest I, I wouldn't take him back um he was maddening but if you look at his goal and assist output it was it was pretty good for for a team that was sort of towards the bottom of the table um you know I think he had five goals six assists uh two years ago and four goals five assists last season um some of those numbers might be transposed but that you know that the the most goals they've the most output they've had from a mid from midfielders this season and this is even if you count Sonani as a midfielder um are uh Sonani and Hogg have both had two goals and one assist and as I put in the conclusions with the greatest respect to Jonathan Hogg if he is in that conversation then there's there's something wrong and mm. I think part of it is is the three four three because your central midfielders are it's harder for them to make a contribution because they're more box to box you don't have uh, a holding midfielder behind them that allows them to sort of have a starting position that's higher up the pitch so they're coming from sort of 10 yards further back than they might otherwise be doing but um, I think even if you change to a, a four three three, and and we've talked about this before, I my my hunch is that Carlos would love to go back to a four three three, but he can't because I think Turton has been a bit exposed when he's played in a four rather than a five, and uh, they just need Pippa to be back, which uh, doesn't look like it's happening within the next couple of games. We need to sort of get an update on that, but um, you know he, he, that seems to be getting pushed back and pushed back because I think he was meant to be back around now, but. Uh, without Pippa they sort of they can't make that change but I think even if you sort of you know if Pippa was back tomorrow I think you still want to have Holmes playing on the left which means that you have that gap in midfield and even if sort of Hogg and Vallejo and the you know all the central midfielders were fit I think they're still sort of missing that that goal scoring midfielder who will um who is more clinical on the counter-attack. That was what Bakuna was good at when he played well. You know, you think of all of Bakuna's best moments, they were pretty much all town playing on the counter and him sort of mm-hmm. taking the ball from halfway, carrying it to the edge of the box, and then either, you know, playing a one-two and getting on the end of it or taking the shot himself or playing someone else in. Mm-hmm. And the one criticism we have of Lewis O'Brien is I don't think he's good enough at that. I think he's very good at the carrying part, um, but I don't think we see enough out of him in the final third in terms of goals or assists and you know big fans of Lisa Brown obviously he's town's best player but that is sort of maybe the one weakness in his game and yeah they, they could do with a bit of that I, th- I think Holmes was getting there with it I mean I don't want to as I put in the conclusions I don't want to Joe Cole him and say oh if Holmes had you know if Holmes had played they would have smashed QPR 4-0 but I thought they really missed Holmes uh, against QPR for exactly that reason because they needed they had sort of Sonani try to provide the technique but Karoma is there to take shots really and they didn't create enough chances to create those shots so it's almost pointless mm-hmm. having him there and the mark I gave I gave him a four but that was more again and I did with Thomas as well and for both of them it was more out of anonymity rather than anything they necessarily did wrong yeah. themselves and I think Sonani sort of on his day brings that technique and that sort of that bit of that X factor, but I think they need someone who's got that mobility so that when you get on the counter, they are going a hundred miles an hour towards goal and are able to have mm. the sort of you know they have the technique and they have the vision to to make the most of those those counter attacking opportunities. And I I don't think you know that isn't a Carolite that isn't an Alex no. Alejo. Like, please do not take this as me saying I would have Janino Bakuna back either because I really wouldn't. I mean, he used to infuriate me more than he infuriated. <laughs> 
deteriorated you, Steve. He he used to drive just to uh, <laughs> just to tell the listeners something. As Steve can testify, he used to drive me mad in the warm up before the game had started. So. I would not have him back. But the thing about Janino Bakula, the one good thing he brought to the game was he got into areas. He mm. he got into areas, edge of the box, arriving late, knowing when to arrive yeah. early, knowing when to play with his back to goal. They were the things that Janino Bakula did well. And they, they don't have that profile of player in the squad at the moment. And it's you can talk about sort of tactics and bringing in that Carol Lighting or something like that, but... At the moment, the three-four-three is here to stay. The three-four-three, the way Town play it, it needs sort of at least one central midfielder who is prepared to sit. You know, Hogan O'Brien can flick between them. They don't have to have uh, Hogan, not Hogan O'Brien. Hyen O'Brien can do it between them. They don't have to have a designated role. But when it's Hog, it's it has to be Hog. But it's just, I I just think they've got to find different patterns of play and different ways to attack because. Mm-hmm. As as brilliant as they've been on set pieces, and they have they've they've been outstanding. I think they're still the third yeah, best team top. in the country on set pieces and across all four leagues. Best in the championship, absolutely brilliant. The problem is towards the back end of the season, you can't rely on that because a lot of analysts have done an awful lot of work on your yeah. set pieces. So they will they will know your routines. They will have certain drills, and they will in some cases they will just literally set up to pack the six yard six yard box so you can't get through you know so they've got to find ways to score more goals from open play and it was that was what was really good about the West Brom one was seeing a goal that town haven't scored for ages and it's it's not just I just I don't think it's like right okay well they need a Carol Lighting replacement or they need an upgrade on Danny Ward I think it's it's a tactical shift and it's a mindset shift and I think this is the other thing we should talk about Steve is this is the Huddersfield town problem since you started covering them for the examiner since I started covering them even back in the promotion season you know they weren't a free-flowing chance after chance um, you know sort of massive XG monster and it's to go to the next level we talked about the finer detail if town are really going to be serious over the next couple of years it is perhaps the single biggest thing they need to solve they need mm. to to find better ways and as i said i i do think there is something in the fact that it's not just about trying to create these certain types of chance i think you've got to give the players the freedom just to create chances sometimes yeah i, I think another sort of interesting touch point and i've asked carlos Gorbrand before like are there any clubs that you look to for inspiration or any you know any sides that you sort of admire uh, and uh, Tuchel's Chelsea is is one of the ones he sort of name check and you know I think three four three is very fashionable at the moment but no one does it better than Chelsea but no. you know I would say with them their top scorer is Reese James at the moment yeah. um, you know uh, Romelu Lukaku's only scored three goals this season uh, although he's you know he's he's not played um, you know by Championship no, standards but the, a huge amount the of football, four but... highest I think the four highest scoring defenders in the Premier League at the moment are. All four of them play for Chelsea. Yeah, including who? Sorry, including Trev. I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is it. So it's not you know Rudiger, Chilwell, James. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's a bigger issue than just upgrading a striker because I think on paper Town's options are very solid for their position in the table, and I think when you look round at other clubs. As I said, there's this perception that everybody else is sitting on some 20, 25 goal a season machine. It's 
just not the case. It's just not the case. It's Danny Ward isn't a perfect striker. None of them are perfect options. But this is the championship. It's not you know it's not Bayern Munich with Lewandowski or Real Madrid with with Benzema or whoever with whoever up front. This is the championship, and I don't think the perfect striker is there in January just sat there saying please come and buy me <laughs> championship mm. club. I just don't think they exist. And I think you have not to unless, understand not unless you've got fifteen million pounds to spend. Yeah, precisely. No one does at this level, yeah. No. So I think I I think it, it is a pattern of play thing and it's not easy. <laughs> no. That's the other thing. It's not easy. It's not something you can just go, Oh, okay, well that's our problem, so let's just not do that. Well th- this is what I was sort of going to come on to with the Chelsea thing as well, is that you know, when you look at not only sort of the goals being spread around the team and you know that they are perhaps the best team in Europe at the moment, Chelsea. I mean they are the European champions, but you know, they've been maybe the best team in Europe so far this season as well. But like I'm not saying town <laughs> town are at that level, but if you are going to sort of I'm not and I'm not saying Carlos is exactly trying to ape their tactics, but I think if you're looking at how to play three four three, there isn't really a better example, and he has mentioned them. So, but like you look at you know their assist leader is Kovacic, who plays that number eight role, that Lewis O'Brien role, and he's got five assists and a goal. You know you have got Mason Mount, who's playing sort of that that Dwayne Holmes type role, where he's a sort of a number ten, half number ten, half winger. He's got three goals, two assists. So that's sort of the difference is that Chelsea have got those players who are contributing from midfield and contributing from deeper positions. And obviously Town can't get players of that standard, but they're also playing at a different level. And I think that that is what they're missing is that contribution from midfield. It's areas again though, isn't it? Because there's no real way to quantify this. But I would imagine most of those players are getting into areas that that town players aren't. That's that's the thing, and it's yeah, it's not an easy thing to solve, particularly at, at championship level, because it's it's the games come thick and fast. You get precious little time. I talked about the sort of difference between having two weeks preparation made for that West Brom game. You don't get that often in this league, so it's it's not easy. But I just. I just think the sort of sign a striker, sign a better striker, I, A, that's very, very difficult, and B, I'm not sure it changes the issues. <laughs> I'm really not. It would. Mm-hmm. I tell you though, Steve, it would be interesting to see what happens when Rhodes is fit, because Rhodes is a different type of striker that if you are going to get the best from him, you do have to play in a different way. Mm-hmm. So when Rhodes comes on for the last sort of 15, 20 minutes, as will be the case, because I think we can all say that Danny Ward is absolutely first choice how do they reshape the team do they go back into a 4-3-3 and try and create more chances that way by having an extra body of midfield I don't know it's it's interesting what would you do I'm not too sure I, I ran the numbers um, in quite some detail on Rhodes and Ward and they are I agree they're totally different players when you sort of when you watch them play and particularly sort of in the build up I think Ward offers a lot more which is probably why you would sort of uh, stick with him over Rhodes but uh, their sort of their conversion rates are very similar. Where they score from is very similar these days. Yeah. Ward Ward used to score a lot more from distance, uh, which Rhodes basically never does, as, as we know. Um, Rhodes is a likes to get in the six yard box a bit more, which probably suits Town a bit more, but. I think it's, I think whoever plays, I almost wonder with, this is a really weird thing to say, and I think this might be where people are coming from when they say sign a striker, but I think that having a striker in both Ward and Campbell, who are both very unselfish and very involved in the build-up, I think 
almost sort of takes some of the responsibility off some of the players that are behind them a little bit. And yeah. I, I think yeah. it might not be the worst thing in the world if they were sort of forced to break that habit and were forced yeah. to, to... And, you know, you could say to players, look, you are going to have to contribute more because... Jordan Rhodes isn't going to do it so you're going to have to get in these positions we're going to have to move these things around and I think it sort of might just having someone different up there whether it's Rhodes or Meepo might act as a bit of a, a kick up the backside and, and can stop them from saying well you know but Danny Ward's going to do it It's very easy to say we're not scoring goals it must be the strikers fault you're, you're exactly right and I, I think I think I I think I might change it so that I think they would go into a 4-3-3 yeah. Just to try and give an extra body pushing on, um, if you if you've got roads up there, but I I think that Meepo is the interesting one, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. everything we've seen of Meepo, everything we've read about him, there seems to be a striker there who can do a little bit of everything. So he can do a little bit of the pressing job. He can do a little bit of the classic number nine thing. He can do a little bit of the playing wide and doing the Karoma role as well. You know, he's two footed, so he could do it from either side. It, it was the variety of goals that really caught the eye wasn't it like when you watch yeah. the footage of him it, it, he scores from all kinds of different positions and um, takes shots when play, when people aren't expecting it yeah yeah. so this is the thing they have got options they've not used them until this point but they have got options so you know like again I feel like I'm talking in cliches a bit but we're, we're coming into the real sort of business end of the season it's, it's sort of Christmas and the early new year when there are slightly more games than usual when the conditions are a little bit tougher you, when you you, you say that you, you keep saying that there's more games than usual well, there's less games than usual this year there is but it's more about the mindset and it's more about the fact that as i said january february when it's freezing cold yeah, and yeah. etc it's it's the most difficult part of the season to play football in this is where they're going to have to use the squad a bit more i was I, and i wrote about this i was really hoping and i think it has to be fair when you look at the qpr selection as well I was hoping that the West Brom selection had sort of slightly proved something to Corbyn that he could use squad options effectively and and get results from them because I think he's always been slightly tentative to trust his options even when they've looked like good options but the fact he had to bring Saar in the fact he had to play Turton where he did move Thomas into the front three and bring High in obviously for Hogg and he still got the result I'm hoping it sort of slightly changed the mindset of I need to play this first 11 relentlessly because we know where that ended yeah I mean well he was confident enough to leave Torba Thomas out for instance in this game for the first time yeah. this season so, so I think using <laughs> using these options does help you almost naturally slightly change the style of play and slightly change the angles so whether that helps a bit as well I don't know I think there might be some truth in that <clears throat> where I think they are sort of at a disadvantage though is is that you know you look at what they had on the bench yesterday and I think probably the only player they could have brought on that really offered something majorly different um, unless they'd taken off Turton earlier to put Thomas on um, would have been to have put John Russell on maybe for Scott High or for one or for either Snarney or Karoma put him because he has played in sort of wide on the front three for the B team before as well but I think beyond that you know the the op, you know Thomas for Karoma is a pretty straight swap you know Ruffles for Toffolo would have been quite a straight swap Fraser you know Fraser Campbell for Danny Ward then not quite as straight a swap but it's not the big difference that they they needed in that game you know Saar unless you were going to put him up front just to sort of have someone to, to 
as they did with Pearson, you know, isn't really going to offer much. And I think, I think Meepo maybe offers something a bit different, but again, he's a bit of an unknown at this stage. And I think Russell's the only sort of the option, only option they had on the bench that really had something different. And I think the player that they needed again was that Dwayne Holmes type, that Bakuna type. And because of the injury crisis in midfield at the moment, they just, they, they weren't able to do that. You know, I think there would have been an argument for, uh, putting Lewis O'Brien further up the field and playing him on the left wing um, and putting him in that Holmes role but again you can't do it because then you've got High and Russell in, in centre midfield and nothing against either of those players but they're both very inexperienced against a very tough opponent so yeah they, they don't have a huge number of options at the moment Holmes hopefully should be back at the weekend uh, Rhodes hopefully should be back soon as I say we need to see with Pippa Aarons is, is still in the squad although he wasn't you know because we've got two strikers on the bench now there's no place for him um so i think they do have options they can use but i'm not sure they have a huge amount of variety there particularly in midfield uh, mm, yes and no <laughs> with with the current injuries is, i mean with without hog yeah i think we know central midfield is the the position they want to recruit for yeah um phil hodgkinson said as much in his in his interview and we know there was a couple of central midfielders they were looking at so we know that's the area they're quite light but i just i i think I think sometimes you really have to work with what you've got and mm-hmm. I know what you're saying about the variety but there was some variety there and you can you can look at the players and say okay well I've got a similar set of players but I can line them up in a different way I yeah, can yeah, change some angles here because um, you can't just keep eternally talking about what you haven't got it's you have to use what is there so I don't know I, I think the next couple of weeks are quite interesting because there is this injury situation rumbling on who comes back who doesn't how they deal with one or two absences longer term I think it's it's yeah it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks starting on Saturday um because that is a that's that's a tough game Saturday I think it's a tough game yeah that feels like one of those games that like the Forest game where it's sort of it's come at the wrong time um mm. particularly as they lost against Preston on on Tuesday and you know I know Chris Wilder's yet to to get a win but uh he will be making changes and he, he's not an overnight manager but you know he'll be no. desperate to get that first win particularly after how things ended at Sheffield United and I know every manager's always motivated so I'm not sort of trying to talk up the wilder thing too much but we know that it can take you know we've seen with the last few appointments town have made that it can take a few games for a manager to their ideas to sort of really take effect and it's it feels like it might end up being inconvenient timing for them on Saturday um, against Borough but the positive is that as you've pointed out many times before they're very good at bouncing back from defeats this season. Mm-hmm. Um, the the only time they've not followed a defeat with a win this season was losing back to back against Forest and Swansea. So that sort of speaks well to the spirit, but obviously also sort of tells you a bit of something about their inconsistency. But at home, to be fair, and we should have mentioned this in the West Brom bit, their home form is is superb at the moment. Yeah, it is. It is, and they need to lean into that. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing to fear. It's just I think it's a tough game. I. I I always hate these games where you're not sure exactly which version of the side is going to turn mm. up. Um, I think sometimes it's far easier. Weirdly, it's far easier to play sides that are in form and in rhythm than sides who are, you know, wildly up and down. So because they're more predictable. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I, I I just I think team selection is very very important. Really, we'll we'll see who is 
if anyone is available <laughs> that we don't know about don't know don't know I, I, I honestly I'm really usually I can go into town games this season and say okay well I think this and this is going to happen I genuinely don't really know what's going to happen on Saturday I mean mm-hmm. I'd hate to say like like a draw at home you want to win all your home games if you're serious and town have been really really good at home but I, I don't know weirdly a draw doesn't feel like the worst result in the world to me but we'll see yeah they've got I think their their December all things considered is is not too bad you know the, the Coventry is obviously a tough game but they've they've got Barnsley um, who are struggling got a new manager as well they've got Bristol City who are you know no great shakes so far this season no. um, you know they've got Forest who obviously have improved since they last faced them but I think are still beatable and um, and Blackpool as well at home on, on Boxing Day and you know that's 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 a tough one because Blackpool have been doing well but they've also beaten three nil already this season so I think they could have they've sort of it's not like they've got a Fulham or a West Brom or a you know or a, a Bournemouth nah. coming up in the next few weeks um so I think I think December will probably be where the season sort of lives or dies now I think by the time we get to Christmas or New Year we should have a, a pretty reliable barometer of, of what direction town are going and you know we, we've been talking about playoffs and we've been sort of framing stuff recently as playoff hopes and playoff push I think it's not a disaster if they drop off from that, but it's the nature of football that once you set a certain standard for yourself, you want to go on to the next thing and see what the the next improvement's going to be. Um, and I think Carlos Corbran wouldn't have it any other way, so I think we have to sort of talk about it in those terms. And you know, it'd be it'd be disappointing if they dropped out of that playoff race. Let's be honest. I think if they if they get to Christmas and they're fourteenth, I think people will be will be pretty livid, to be honest, and pretty concerned. But um, yeah, that's. You know, that's I was gonna say the rod they made for their own back. That's it's not really the the right thing to say, but it's you know they've um, they've set the standards high for themselves, and I think it's fair to sort of hold them to those those standards now. Yeah, well, that's that's it's a little bit like Sorba Thomas, isn't it? Where you, you're yeah. being judged against the standards you set yourself, and yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. I'm still. If you were, if you were to ask me to put a mortgage payment on where Huddersfield Town were at the end of this season, I'll be honest with you, I'm still not sure. I'm genuinely still not sure. Mm-hmm. I also don't know what December's going to be like. I don't think Town are going to go on a massive recruitment drive. I don't know if they'll get their central midfielder in January. I'm, yeah, I've no idea. But I also don't know what other clubs are going to do. There might be one or two other clubs. You look at someone like a Coventry, and if you were going to invest. <laughs> this would be the transfer window to perhaps try and get that one or two players who might get you over the line so it's a long way to go in this season it's I don't know it's it's weirdly easy to forget we're not even halfway yet <laughs> it yeah. feels it feels like we we're there or thereabouts and we're really not yet so we'll see we'll see right Dave uh big Christmas coming up for you over on Ockley books what have you got on offer for us uh, we've got a couple of new books about there's some some great books from Jonathan Hardin about coaching mentioned soul which has just been released Steve Hill's non-league opus the card and his uh, his all sports book wall of sport is available and on sale a few copies of beyond the turnstiles left which is a great present to be fair it's a nice little coffee table book isn't it it is yeah it's lovely 15 quids worth you'll look like a hero when they unwrap that so yeah there's all sorts Ockley books which is O-C-K-L-E-Y uh, books.co.uk pop over and have a look 
and I'll also, once you've done that, direct you to huddersfieldtattoo.com. Donations have really, really dropped off the last couple of weeks, and uh, I know it's a, a tough time of year for, for a lot of people, people saving for Christmas, but if you are in a position to to go and make a donation to the Welcome Centre, who are you know, a much, much needed, sadly, service in, in Huddersfield, and more and more people, unfortunately, need their services. There was a you know, the massive response last year, and even taking the the anonymous £1,000 out of it and Fraser Campbell's 5000 out of it we raised about you know town fans raised about £6,000 last year uh, we've only raised about £2,000 so far this year so if we can get that bumped up I know a lot of people will be getting paid at the end of the month as well uh, head to huddersfieldtattoo.com I'm not going to talk about my pledge because it's it's not really about that and to be honest we're we're too far away from that um, to uh, to even sort of discuss that but if you are able to make a donation to the Welcome Centre uh, however little or large uh, be really appreciated and we will see you next time on Utabia Terrier. Goodbye. See you there.